interview will focus on the approach to patients complaining of a change in bowel habit. Professor Epstein, where should we start? Firstly, it's helpful to define what is meant by the term change of bowel habit. The symptom can apply to a range of change in stool consistency, the form of the stool, and of course the stool frequency. Commonly, patients present with a combination of these symptoms. In the course of a lifetime, almost everyone experiences episodes of diarrhoea or constipation. I mean, does the duration of the change in bowel habit enter the clinical definition? Yes. Most episodes are self-limiting, transient, and of little if any clinical consequence. It is therefore useful to consider a time frame which distinguishes the intermittent and very common alteration in bowel habit from clinically important alterations. So what sort of timescales apply when trying to define whether or not a change in bowel habit should be investigated? Okay, let's take diarrhea as an example. Most diarrheal illnesses settle within 14 days. So this is a useful time frame to distinguish acute diarrhea from chronic diarrheal illnesses. So I suppose you might consider investigating an uncomplicated diarrheal illness if it persists for more than 14 days? Some clinical judgment is still necessary. Remember that whilst the common infective diarrhea is usually settled within a week or two, this is often followed by a period where bowel habit remains unsettled, although clearly the acute illness has passed. Because of this, and by common consent, a diarrheal illness is only defined as chronic once the symptom has been persistent for more than 30 days. Does the time frame also apply to constipation? Yes, many healthy individuals experience short periods of uncomplicated constipation. Oh yes, I've recognised this occurring when travelling to foreign countries or when flying to destinations which cross time zones. That is a very common example. Uh, another example is where patients take analgesics containing codeine or some other opioid. Like diarrhoea, concerns about constipation is usually aroused if the symptoms persist for perhaps a month or more. So is time frame of the altered bowel habit a prime guide as to whether or not further investigation is necessary? No, not always. If a new onset diarrheal or constipating illness is accompanied by persistent bleeding or severe abdominal pain and the patient is ill, you might need to consider acute onset colitis or intestinal obstruction. Clearly, the management of these acute settings would be quite different from those alluded to above. Right. So, I understand that altered bowel habit relates to stool form, consistency and frequency, and that persistence of symptoms for perhaps four to six weeks would be an indication to consider investigations? Yes, that's a fair summary. Talking about stool can be tricky for patients. How do you help patients define form and consistency? Well, most patients are quite graphic in their descriptions, and most often, prompting is not really necessary. However, the Bristol stool chart is worth keeping handy, as this allows a reasonably objective description. Gosh, you mean someone's actually defined stool form graphically? Could you show me? Sure. Stools can be described as separate hard lumps, lumpy sausage shapes, sausage shapes with cracks, sausage shapes with smooth surface and soft consistency, soft blobs, fluffy with ragged edges, and mushy or liquid with no solid content. A picture tells a thousand words. Well, let's move on to more closely defined diarrhoea. I'd understand this to mean increased frequency and soft or watery consistency. Yes, the term is widely understood by patients and indeed refers to an increase in stool frequency and loose consistency. 
However, the definition can be better refined. How's that? There is an objective definition which defines diarrhea on the basis of stool weight rather than relying on the patient's description. Okay, so how does stool weight help define diarrhea? On a Western diet, daily stool weight is almost always less than 300 grams and usually of the order of 200 to 250 grams. So a useful method to confirm diarrhea is to collect stools over, say, three consecutive days on a standardized diet and to both inspect and weigh the stool. This should provide an objective confirmation of increased stool volume as reflected by a 24-hour weight greater than, say, 300 grams. It's important, though, to remember that stool weight varies with diet, and the normal stool weight in London, Paris, or New York might be quite different from the weight in cultures eating staple diets, which are much higher in fibre content. Does this imply that when a patient complains of ongoing diarrhoea, stool weight needs to be objectively measured? No, that, that would be unpleasant for both the patient and the weigher. So, I guess a subjective description is usually satisfactory. Surely we all know what diarrhoea means, and if I tell you I have diarrhoea, then isn't that enough? In practice, we do generally rely on the patient's interpretation and description of the symptom. But there's an important pitfall. And what's that? A proportion of patients who complain of diarrhoea, or increased stool frequency, actually have pseudodiarrhoea. And what do you mean by that? Well, if a patient is troubled by an increased urge to open their bowels, they often report the associated increase in visits to the toilet as diarrhoea. This is particularly true of irritable bowel syndrome, where patients experience a sense of incomplete evacuation and repeatedly attempts to open their bowels. So, whilst they report frequent visits to open their bowels, stool weights often adds up to considerably less than 300 grams per 24 hours. So the patient reports increased stool frequency, or perhaps diarrhoea, but objectively they don't have abnormal stool volumes. Yes, and of course the clinical distinction of pseudodiarrhoea from true diarrhoea is critically important as it will profoundly influence investigation and management. I'm still a little confused. There's an objective and subjective measure of diarrhoea and the pitfall of pseudodiarrhoea. Well, what measure do you use in practice? Actually, a careful history will usually characterise true diarrhoea because in this disorder, patients will almost always complain of large volume loose or watery stools in addition to urgency and frequency. In contrast, patients with pseudodiarrhoea will usually report urgency and increased frequency, but the stools are not voluminous and might even be described as hard, thin and pencil shaped, pellet shaped, or even like rabbit droppings. So, to summarise, the term diarrhoea relates to an increased volume of loose or watery stool passed with increased frequency. And if you wish to check this objectively, stool weight is probably the best marker. That's right. Let's turn to constipation. How is this defined? Again, this is usually a subjective symptom, and there's a real clinical challenge to distinguish objective features of clinically significant constipation from a patient's perception of the disorder. So you're implying that some patients presenting with constipation don't really have the disorder? That does occur. Our culture is somewhat obsessed by the idea of a daily bowel action, and many patients opening their bowels every second or third day consider themselves to be constipated. And you mean they're not? Well, epidemiological studies indicate that in most economically developed countries, the norm for bowel action ranges from three times daily to three times a week. So there's a considerable range within the normal distribution. So the frequency of bowel action is less important in the definition of constipation? Correct. It has a place, 
but consistency and the defecation experience is probably more important. So, is there an objective measure of constipation? Yes, the SHAPES test offers a really good measure of colonic transit. And what's the SHAPES test? A soluble capsule containing insoluble radiopaque markers, or SHAPES, is ingested by the patient and five days later a plain abdominal x-ray is taken. In patients with normal transit, almost all the SHAPES will have passed with the stool, whilst in patients with true constipation, large numbers of retained SHAPES can be seen on the x-ray. Well, that seems like a fairly straightforward assessment. Well, let's turn to the clinical diagnosis of constipation. Are there clinical criteria to help make the diagnosis from history alone? The term constipation has varied meaning for different persons. For some patients, constipation implies stools which are too hard or too small. Others perceive constipation as difficult or infrequent passage of stools. So where does that leave us in the clinical definition? Well, based on epidemiological studies in the United States and the United Kingdom, constipation has been defined as a stool frequency of less than three evacuations per week. And that's it? Not quite. And a group of experts in the field have brought the diagnosis in what is called the Rome Criteria for Constipation. And what are they? This consensus definition includes the presence of two or more symptoms for at least 12 weeks in any year, which need not be consecutive. They are straining with at least 25% of bowel movements, the sensation of incomplete evacuation after at least 25% of bowel movements, a sense of anorectal obstruction or blockade in at least 25% of movements, manual evacuation required to facilitate at least 25% of bowel movements, hard or lumpy stools on at least 25% of bowel movements, and stools less frequent than three per week. Well, it seems a fairly simple set of criteria. Are there any other additional features? Yes, loose stool should not be present and there should be insufficient criteria for the diagnosis of irritable bowel syndrome. So, change of bowel habit presents as a change in consistency and frequency of stool. Subjective symptoms are usually sufficient to make a diagnosis, but a careful history is imperative because of the pitfalls of pseudodiarrhea and pseudoconstipation. If there's doubt, Diarrhoea can be further assessed on the basis of stool weight, and constipation can be measured against objective criteria set out by a panel of experts. And that concludes this interview. To